Good morning. Uh, for those of you who may not have met me yet, my name is Teresa Breeding, and I am the Women's Ministry Director here at Grace. And we are in the middle of a series about the parables of Jesus. We're going through the parables of Jesus in chronological order, as he told them. And so today I get to share with you about the, the parable of the shrewd manager, also known as the parable of the dishonest manager, and very often referred to as the problem parable because it is a little bit difficult to understand, and pastors and commentators uh, often disagree on what it is about. And so today I'm going to put in my two cents about what I think this parable means and what we can gain from it. And then at the end, uh, Jesus is going to give us some pretty basic, clear directions and instructions for us. And um, so we'll cover that as well. But as we read this parable, I want you to remember that a parable is an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. And Jesus made this story up. It's not something that actually happened, so it's not this strange situation that we all have to try to make sense of. It's a story that he made up to teach us something. And he chose the details. He made the story exactly the way he wanted it to be to teach us exactly what he wanted us to learn from it. So let's look at this parable in Luke chapter 16, verses 1 through 15. It says, Jesus told his disciples, There was a rich man whose manager was accused of wasting his possessions. So he called him in and asked him, What is this I hear about you? Give an account of your management, because you cannot be manager any longer. The manager said to himself, What shall I do now? My master is taking away my job. I'm not strong enough to dig, and I'm ashamed to beg. I know what I'll do, so that when I lose my job here, people will welcome me into their houses. So he managed the accounts for a very wealthy man. So this was a more than full-time job. He probably also lived on the wealthy man's property. And so to get fired would mean that he is not only losing his job, he's losing everything. He's losing his home. He's losing his job. He's losing everything. And so he's, 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 he stands to lose everything, and he says, I know what I'll do. Verse 5, so he called in each one of his master's debtors. He asked the first, how much do you owe the master? 900 gallons of olive oil, he replied. Now that's a lot of olive oil. I don't know if you've checked the prices of olive oil at the grocery store lately, but it's very expensive. And I looked up on the internet to see what this, you know, what this, how much this was, and it said that one olive tree would produce one gallon of olive oil. One olive tree. One gallon of olive oil. So 900 gallons is a lot. So that tells me that these debtors are not just ordinary people buying olive oil for their household. These are wealthy businessmen as well. These are prominent people. The manager told him, take your bill, sit down quickly, and make it 450. So cut that bill in half. Then he asked the second, and how much do you owe? A thousand bushels of wheat, he replied. So again, this is not your average debt. This is a lot of wheat. This is a very large amount of money. He told him, take your bill and make it 800. So this guy is pretty slick, really. I mean, he sees that the pink slip's coming, and he's going to go out and set himself up to be taken care of when that day comes. You know, he's, he's going to set himself up to be in, on people's good side so that they will owe him a favor. You know, he's going to be able to say, I scratched your back, now you scratch mine. And so he cuts these debts 
And then the master comes back. And it says in verse 8, the master commended the dishonest manager because he had acted shrewdly. He commended him. When I first read that, I was like, what? He commended him? And now let me first say that he's not referring to this guy as the dishonest manager for what he did in this situation. He was already most likely known as a dishonest person. That's just who he was. Uh, he had mismanaged this man's possessions. He had obviously had some, some problems with trust and dishonesty before. So this was most likely already a problem. And this is just another example of his dishonesty. But notice the master is commending him for being shrewd, for acting shrewdly. So let's look at that word. The word shrewd means clever, savvy, wise, perceptive, farsighted. So the manager commends him for being shrewd, which is odd because you would think that he would be mad at him, you know, that he would threaten to sue him or punch him in the face or something, but he doesn't. He compliments him for acting shrewdly, for thinking ahead, for being farsighted, for being clever. And I know that seems strange, but Maybe you can think of a time when someone in your life maybe got one over on you. And although you didn't think it was a good thing, you know, you had to, to admit that it was pretty clever, you know, and be like, well, they got me, you know. It was, it was shady, but it was brilliant. It's like I think about, I have kind of this weird fascination with criminals. And uh, I know I'm not a criminal, and I don't want to be a criminal, but I just think sometimes they are just brilliant, <laughs> you know? The things that they come up with, I'm just amazed at the, their creativity. And so a couple months ago, we went and toured the Brushy Mountain State Penitentiary. And if you've never done that, it's really, really neat. And I went on my birthday because that's just how weird I am. That's what I wanted to do on my birthday. But we went and toured it, and they have this whole room that's full of display cases that has the, the weapons that the prisoners formed while they were in there. And it's just amazing to me the things that, that they formed weapons out of, their creativity. They could make a weapon out of a toothbrush. And there was one guy that he sawed all the way through his prison bars with dental floss, all the way through metal, all the way with dental floss. And I'm thinking, although I don't think that's a good thing, and I don't think that he should have done that, I do have to commend him you know, for his creativity, for his determination and his effort, for his shrewdness. And so in this parable, the, the guy, he's not commending him for being a good guy or for doing something good. He's commending him for his shrewdness. He's commending him for being creative and for recognizing the urgency of the situation and for taking action. And so we ourselves need to recognize that just like the manager had to, to give an account to his master for the way that he had handled the things that he, his master had left him in charge of, the day will come that we will have to give an account to our master for the way that we have handled the things that he has put us in charge of, for our God-given time, our God-given talents, our God-given resources. How did we use those things? We'll have to answer for that, good or bad, how we use those resources. Did we use them well or did we waste them? We will give an account. But there's a commendation for those who recognize the urgency of the matter. They recognize that they will give an account and they need to live their life in light of the fact 
that that day is coming. Because we too are people under authority, and we will answer to our master someday. Jesus goes on to say, For the people of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own kind than are the people of the light. In other words, sinful people will use any means necessary to secure their future. That's the way of the world. You know, I read a story about a guy who wanted to be a pro golfer. And he would go out and he would practice and he would practice all day long until there were times when his hands were blistered and bleeding because he practiced so much. But he wanted it that bad. And if the professional athletes of this world and the businessmen of this world are willing to put in whatever it takes, whatever time it takes, whatever effort it takes to reach their earthly goals, then why, why don't we as Christians put in that much effort? Why don't we as Christians pursue God with such zeal and with such passion as the people of the world pursue the things that they pursue? Jesus wants the way that we act, the way that we think, the way that we interact with others, the way that we make decisions. He wants that all to reflect our commitment to him. In verse 9 it says, I tell you, use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourselves so that when it is gone, you will be welcomed into eternal dwellings. He's saying, use your wealth to build relationships. Find unbelievers and help them lessen their debt to the master. Be evangelical. Be mission-minded and seek out the lost. The word that he uses here for wealth is mammon. So it's not, it's not just money. It's worldly possessions. It's everything that we have. And he says, use your material possessions. Use your earthly resources. Use what you have for the sake of godly relationships. Use what you have for the sake of people, to bless them, to care for them, to meet their needs. So we're meant to use our possessions and love people, not love possessions and use people. You have an opportunity right here on earth to help those who are poor, who are needy, who have nothing. You have the opportunity to meet those needs. And the goal isn't to acquire more things here on earth. It's to reach people for Christ. And when we as Christians are generous towards others, then that reflects to the world what our Heavenly Father is like. It says that so that when it's all gone, you will be welcomed into eternal dwellings. So that when you die and you go to heaven, that you'll have a host of people there to greet you. You know, a heavenly welcoming committee, so to speak. So that when you die and you go to heaven, there'll be somebody that comes up to you and says, Hey, remember that time that you gave to send that missionary to Haiti? Well, I was in Haiti. And I talked to that missionary and I gave my heart to the Lord. Thank you for being a part of that. Or when somebody comes up to you and says, you know, hey, remember when you packed that box for Operation Christmas Child? Well, I got that box. And I heard the gospel that day. And I gave my heart to the Lord. Thank you for doing that. Or remember when you brought all your friends to eat Frito Banditos at the fair? And everybody in here did, right? That money helped pay for my youth group to go to Winter Conference. And I went and I gave my heart to the Lord at Winter Conference. Thank you for being a part of that. I remember when you kept the nursery at church? My parents were able to pay attention in church. And they gave their hearts to the Lord. 
And they raised me to love the Lord. Thank you for being a part of that. I mean, wouldn't that be awesome? To step into heaven and be met by people who you played a role in getting there. Because you allowed yourself to be used as a tool of God to reach people. Verse 10 says, Whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much. And whoever is dishonest with very little will also be dishonest with much. In other words, faithful people are faithful people. And generous people are generous people, whether they have a lot or they have a little. It's just on a different scale. Generous people are generous people. It's like I think about when my youngest daughter, Brianna, she was the one up here on the end. When she was in first or second grade, they had a day at school where they could go to the concession stand and they could get some, everything in the concession stand was 25 cents that day. And um, they could get, you know, a popsicle or a, a sucker or a little bag of popcorn or something like that. And so I gave her 50 cents to take to school that day. And when she got in line at the concession stand, the little girl next to her had forgotten her money. And so she wasn't going to be able to get anything that day. And so Brianna gave her one of her quarters. And I was so proud of her because that's what it means to be generous. Sure, it's on a small scale. But she could have decided that she wanted a popsicle and a sucker that day. And so, too bad. But she didn't. She decided to share with this other little girl that didn't have anything. And I think that many times we, on a much larger scale, decide that we would rather have more for ourselves than to share with others who don't have any. Verse 11 goes on to say, So if you not, have not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, who will trust you with true riches? And if you have not been trustworthy with someone else's property, who will give you property of your own? So if you watch how people handle the little things in life, you'll know how they're going to handle the big things. And this is true in, in every aspect of life. It's true in business. You know, who's going to get the promotion? The person who, who tries hard and works hard and cares about their job, right? No, we're not watching a movie. <laughs> who's going to get the promotion? The person who works hard. Not the person who comes in late every day and that plays on their phone when the boss isn't looking. Not the person that wastes their time. It's the person that, that's going to get the job done that's going to work hard and make sure that everything gets done whether the boss is looking or not. That's the person that's going to get the promotion. And Jesus is saying, look, you're going to get promoted one day. You're going to get a promotion to heaven. In the meantime, I need you to be faithful with the small stuff. And everything here on earth is small stuff compared to eternity. That's where the true riches are. He says in verse 13, no one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. The Pharisees who loved money heard all this and were sneering at Jesus. He said to them, you are the ones who justify yourselves in the eyes of others. But God knows your hearts. What people value highly is detestable in God's sight. Now let me clarify something. Money is not evil. Okay, or people who have money are not evil. On the contrary, money makes the world go round. Money sends missionaries to Africa. Money pays the lot bill at the church. Money feeds the poor. Okay, money makes the world go round. When used for good, money is a mighty tool of God. 
The Bible says the love of money is the root of all evil. And it says that we cannot serve two masters, God and money. So there is a danger in this world of depending more on money than we do on God. Of focusing more on the almighty dollar than on the almighty God. That's where the problem comes in. But money in and of itself is not evil. But verse 13 is saying that you've got to pick a God. And you can pick the real one, the creator of heaven and earth, the one who knew you in your mother's womb, knew you before you were born. Or you can pick the fake one, the temporary one. But you don't get to pick both. No one can serve two masters. We all worship something. We all worship something. Either, you know, maybe you, you worship influence or leadership or power or money. You know, you, you worship things. You, know, you can worship things or you can worship the one who created those things. And you can use those things as tools to worship him. In this parable, we have this guy who's going to great measures and great risk to secure himself a limited, temporary, earthly future. And we as believers, we have a hope far beyond that of eternity with Jesus, yet we think very little of it on a day-to-day basis. And when Jesus says to, to store up your treasures in heaven, he's not saying this is a good idea. He's saying, this is how I want you to live your lives. He's saying... You know, store up treasures for eternity. Just like a businessman who travels the world to make the deal. That will go to the ends of the earth to make the deal and secure temporary earthly things. We should be going to great lengths to store up treasures in heaven. And Jesus is saying that we need to be at least as shrewd as they are. John MacArthur put it this way. If the perverted, wicked sons of this age use every imaginable means available to secure their temporal future, shouldn't you be careful how you act in regard to your eternal future? So this guy, this manager, was worldly, and he saw a bad situation headed his way. And with an urgency, he figured out a way to save himself from an earthly standpoint. We, as Christians, we should be like him. And that in that we are heavenly minded and we are to evaluate the situations in our lives from a heavenly perspective and that we should pursue God and the things of God with an urgency as if that day is coming quickly that we will answer to our master and give an account. But that's our part of our problem. You see, you may be sitting here today and you're young and you're healthy and you feel like you've got many, many years before that day comes. But that's our problem. Is we think that we can pursue God later. We think that we have all the time in the world before we're going to call, be called to give an account. And we're just moseying around. Being a, a halfway Christian. Mediocre at best. And I, I'm guilty of this. I'm guilty of this because we think we have all the time in the world. And we can pursue God later. After football season. After the kids are grown. After my career takes off. And Jesus is saying, no. He's saying, pursue me now. Serve me now. Follow me with an urgency now. As I was preparing this message, I was reminded of the letter to the church in Laodicea in Revelation 3. And I think that we are very much like this church. 
And in this message that he had for them and for us, Revelation 3.15, he said, I know your deeds, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish you were either one or the other. So because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. You say, I am rich, I have acquired wealth and do not need a thing. But you do not realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. See, things are are going well and we act like we don't need God. But what we don't realize is that we have nothing. Because everything that we have is of God, is from God. The things of this earth are temporary. The things of God are are eternal, and those are the things that we act like are not important. we got to get our priorities straight. It's like if, if I borrow your vehicle, and I bring your vehicle back, and I give you your keys, and I say, you're welcome. That doesn't make sense, does it? I borrowed your vehicle, and I said, you're welcome. But that's what we do with the things of God. We treat them as if they're our own. We act like they're our own, but they're given to us for temporary use in a temporary world to be managed for him and for his kingdom. Your life is not your own. Whatever leadership, whatever influence, whatever power, whatever things that you have have been given to you by God. And we are going to stand before the owner of those things one day and give an account of how we use them. Nothing in my hand I bring, simply to the cross I cling. Right? But God gives us these things to be used for his kingdom. Now, our righteousness, our righteousness is secure by the finished work of Jesus on that cross. But he gives us power and influence and money and all these things to further his kingdom. But are we misusing what he has given us? Are we using them to gain earthly friends or eternal friends? Here are three things that I think that Jesus wanted us to learn from this parable today. Number one, we are all managers of what God has entrusted to us on this earth. Our time, our talents, our resources, our money, our lives, it's all for God. So ask yourself, how has God gifted me? What has he entrusted to my management here on earth? How are you using those things? Are you using them to benefit the world that's only temporary? Or are you using your gifts and your talents and your resources to reach people for God? Number two, we will all be called to give an account of how we manage those things. Ready or not, that day will come, good or bad. We have to be ready every day, live ready. And number three, we should manage every aspect of our lives with eternity in mind. Our eternal perspective affects our earthly priorities. So I would encourage you this week, maybe even this afternoon, to get alone with God and have a a very real conversation with Him and really think about all that God has given you and all that you're blessed with. You know, how are you stewarding? How are you managing the gifts that God has given you? And 
How could you be more intentional, more creative, more shrewd with those things for the glory of God? Spend some time thinking about this last year, this last couple of years, this last decade. How have you managed what God has given you? And then flash forward, what would it look like five years from now? If you really, fully, wholeheartedly just sold out, served God. What would it look like in the next year? Bring it a little closer. What would the next year look like if you just fully served God, fully surrendered yourself to God? The next month, the next week, what would today look like if you walked out of here and just fully opened yourself up to being a vessel and a tool for God in every area of your life? Because do you realize what God could do through you if you just let him, if you just opened yourself up to that. And I'm not saying go quit your job and go into full-time ministry. I'm saying your life can be a ministry. Right where you're at. In your home, in your job, at school. Your life can be a ministry if you just let him work through you. You have no idea what he can do through you. Just let him. Think about it. Who can you invite to church next Sunday? Who has a need that you could meet this week? And maybe that's a financial need, but maybe that's just somebody that needs somebody to talk to. Or they need a ride to a doctor's appointment. Or a meal or a babysitter. How could you meet that need to the glory of God? Be creative. You know, who could you pray for? Who could you pray with? If you look, if you open yourself up and you make yourself available to God, you will be surprised at the things that he sets in front of you. The things that you notice and the things that you're able to do for him. But I also want you to realize while you're thinking about this, that God will not love you more or less for what you do. It's not about what we do. Our salvation has been taken care of by Jesus' sacrifice on that cross. So we don't, we don't do these things to earn his love. We do these things out of our love for him. It's like a story that I heard of an old pastor named John Rooking in England during World War I. He was sitting there watching the man who lit the gas lanterns down the street. And as the man was lighting the lanterns, this old pastor was watching him and it dawned on him. And he said, that's what it looks like to be a Christian. People should be able to tell where you have been, where a Christian has been, by the lights that they leave behind them. Are you letting your light shine? Are you leaving those lights behind you? Because do you remember when you were lost and someone lit that way for you? Someone introduced you to the love of God, to the grace of God. You can be that light for someone else because that's what life is about. That's what our purpose is, is to share Jesus with others and to show them the way. 
And you don't have to be a pastor or a missionary to do that. You can do it right where you're at. You just reach the people around you. Every person matters. If you can reach one person, that matters. It's like the old man that was walking down the beach and he saw that there were thousands of starfish that had been washed up on the shore. And as he walked down the beach, he saw a little boy eagerly throwing those starfish back in the ocean. And he said, son, what are you doing? And the little boy said, I'm saving these starfish, sir. And the man said, there's thousands of starfish. And there's only one of you. What difference can you make? And the little boy picked up a starfish and threw it in. said, I made a difference in that one. Threw another one in. Made a difference in that one. Made a difference in that one. Who can you make a difference in? It's like a, a very wise man once told me. Many of you knew him, Calvin Wyatt. He said, you can count the number of seeds in an apple. But you can't count the number of apples in a seed. Because you don't know when you reach that one person. You don't know how many people that one person is going to reach. And they're going to reach, and they're going to reach, and they're going to reach. Never underestimate what God can do through you. Someone shared the gospel with Billy Graham. Never underestimate what the Lord can do through you. Just open yourself up to that. Will you pray with me this morning? Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for being here present with us today. Lord, I pray that you will open our eyes to those around us that we could reach for you. Lord, fill us with your love for them. Show us where we can represent you well. Make us your vessels. Make us your tools. Lord, help us to be more aware of what this life really means, what it's for. Lord, we want to honor you. We want to share you with the world. Help us. Help us to, to just open ourselves up and just to be fully sold out, surrendered to you. That that eternity will be such an incredible party, Lord. We love you. We want to represent you well. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for using us. Inspire us to be vessels for you. In Jesus' name, amen.